This is episode 5D of Free as in Freedom. I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. And uh, so we've been doing kind of, uh, well, that last episode was very uh, formal. And, and I hope. Basic. Yeah, I hope people were not. Uh, Forward to tears. Yeah, I, we know <laughs> a lot of our regular listeners. Uh, and we mentioned in our, when we announced that we were coming back, that there would be episodes like that. Uh, what we've decided to do is kind of intermix them uh, as we develop them with some of our, us- our usual witty banter and goofy <laughs> content. <laughs> Uh, so that our regular listeners have something to come back to that they want to hear. So we thought what we do in this episode. So this will this will come out uh, in uh, you know a little bit past mid year 2016. Uh, is talk about all the conferences that Conservancy was represented at and did talks at over the last uh, you know the, the first part of 2016, first half of 2016. Yeah. Well, the first couple I wasn't at actually. Yeah. So even though I uh, normally am. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's true. You, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't attend. You had a conflict. You weren't able to attend LCA or FOSDEM, as I recall. That's right. Yes. Because right. in fact, I, the, I'm forgetting this. So, so our, our long-term listeners know that I used to be worried about going on planes that were longer than like six or seven hours. So I would do the trip from the East coast of the U S uh, across the Atlantic. And that was pretty much the longest flights I'd ever been on. Well, uh, I am completely over that because for FOSDEM and LCA, uh, due to pricing concerns, <laughs> I ended up going uh, f- round trip from Portland, Oregon, where I now live, uh, as we talked about in an earlier episode that I've, I've relocated from New York to Portland, Oregon, uh, about uh, almost two years ago now. And I uh, went round trip to FOSDEM, was there from you know, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, FOSDEM. Then on Monday morning, European time, I got on a plane and went back to home for six hours, did my laundry, and then went to Australia for Linux uh, Conf AU. Uh, I didn't calculate the exact number of time zones I crossed, but it was roughly half the time zones on the planet. Wow. Uh, so yeah. seriously? Yeah. Well, think about it. I started. I started the morning. Uh, I mean, one day. So I started the. Well, it's, I crossed the date line, so it actually was like three days, but it was one <laughs> day. Um, so yeah, I started the morning in uh, in Brussels, Belgium, and ended in uh, on the east they coast. They always of say they're going to coordinate those conferences a little bit better. Well, it's. N- I mean, the the <laughs> a a Linux conf organizer. Uh, I won't say from which year. Uh, said that they. Um, um, uh, joked, I should avoid scheduling FOSDEM against us in the future. Uh, <laughs> basically meaning that, that FOSDEM is mercurial in their dates because they get that space from the university and they don't know until like July or August, uh, what dates they're gonna get. So they end up with, uh, these, uh, some date in Jan, some weekend in January or February. And LCA, uh, because it's very well organized and planned well in advance, have already picked the dates like for a year and a half in advance. And, um, I, I think that that's, um, that, that's basically the problem. And that's why there's something. Yeah. Well, I was really, um, I was really sad to miss both of those conferences because it's unfortunate that they are both at the same time because there aren't a ton of community, um, organized, uh, conferences that are as big anymore. And both LCA and FOSM are incredibly important, um, in that, in that way. Yeah. So FOSM, FOSM, we did our usual thing. Um, where we uh, did uh, we, we did the legal and policy issues dev room, which is co-organized by me and you and Tom Marble and Richard Fontana, and uh, we did uh, a pretty a pretty good job this year. I think we we had uh, the really big room uh, the second day, uh, so we never had that before. Uh, and we weren't able to fill it uh, as much as we would have liked. That's because I wasn't there. Probably. Uh, <laughs> it did. F- it was overflowing. We did a Q&A with Richard Stallman. So that was something we were able to coordinate this year. Um, a Q- a, and we specifically did it in a Q&A because uh, RMS likes to give talks that are focused on... Um, 
he, he likes to give his intro talks, basically, yeah. to free software. That's what he prefers to give, what he travels around the world doing, understandable. He's got them well practiced and rehearsed and very good. Um, but we, we knew the FOSDEM audience had heard much of that material before. Mm-hmm. So we designed it as a Q&A, and Tom Marble um, was, was up I there. I heard he was great. Tom did a great job, and, and, and RMS did a great job, too. And I, and I helped because I did a thing. So RMS does this thing when he, when he answers questions. He's memorized various user URLs on the GNU website. And he often answers questions by saying, you should read this URL. So what I did, because obviously RMS doesn't use slides. So I put my computer up on the screen. And when he would do that, I would load that URL. Oh, great. <laughs> so that people could read. Cause, uh, I thought you were going to say you stood behind him with a poster. Uh, no, <laughs> that that um, I wouldn't have done that. Um, so yeah, so so that so we had the room overflowing for that. I yeah, that was the only time I did do crowd control that day was for that talk. The rest of them, um, I, I mean, I think it's it's been proven now that we can't fill the like six hundred person room with the regular talks. Um, but yeah. but, uh, uh, it's, but it was it's, full for Stallman. Oh, Q&A, it was overflowing. Right? We had to, I was turning people away oh, out okay. in the, out in the hallway for sure. Yeah, so it was just, so uh, you know RMS is still the the huge draw that he always is. Yeah. Um, and so and so that worked out pretty well. I ended up giving a fill in talk, so I actually gave two talks. Um, and folks have been asking me. I just got an email recently again. Um, the recordings at Fosdom were not great this year. They 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 kind of um, they tried to improve the system a lot. They had some wonderful ideas, uh, but it did not work. The, so they had this idea to basically run the video at all times, and then all you had to do on a web form was click when each talk started, and it would auto cut them based on your clicks as the conference room organizer or as the dev room organizer, which was a great idea. The system did not work. Oh no! And so some of the talks were there some of them weren't I, I never got that interface working like I would click on it and it would not cut and I was on IRC as people were talking trying to get that sorted out and it never got sorted while well, at least while I was there um, so I don't know how many recordings are available I know that the FOSDEM site says uh, in some places talk okay video coming and then there's no video somebody pointed that out to me just recently um, but I, I unfortunately did not get a lot of recordings um, I had a recorder some of the time eventually I will go through all the recording and take a look at all of the talks were pretty good in that room. I mean, we organized the content and curated it very carefully. But what were uh, one or two of the standout ones? Do you remember other than the uh, Stallman fireside chat? Um, so I did a thing this year where I did more hallway time than usual. Um, and I do, um, I do a lot of hallway time at those conferences, but I, there was a lot of, uh, as, you, as you recall, Karen, I was on the phone with you about various political issues that were going on at the time. So I missed a lot of the talks because of that. Uh. So so I did see my own, which were, I hope were very good. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I didn't see them exactly. I, I heard them you coming out. You experienced them. I experienced them, that's correct. <laughs> um, Fontana, gave, actually, Fontana's talk was very controversial. because What, what was it about? He basically... I should remember, but... Um, he basically, uh, I don't remember the title, but uh, the 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 upshot was he he attacked all uh, nonprofit organizations in, in free software, including us, software including freedom us. conservancy. He took, a, he took a shot at us including too, including us, software freedom conservancy. Yeah, but he was much harder on the trade associations. Oh than wow! Us. I mean, he was really hard on the trade associations. He was a little hard on us. He was equal opportunity. He, he gave he a hard time. He does call everybody. it like he sees it. I know, and, which and, is good. Uh, you know, I was. Uh, this is this is a thing I would only say on the audio, but I was watching uh, the the uh, ex- executive director of uh, of a major trade association. I'm not going to say which one. His face in the audience as Richard Fontana was speaking, and I think uh, Mr. Fontana may have made an enemy that Ooh. day. Um, I, I, I he probably forgave him because I mean, if I, if I, I mean, I forgive him Fontana for some of the. I mean, th- do we remember the Fontana talks where like every other slide was my picture? with some attack on me. Um, and I've forgiven Fontana for all of those. So I'm, I'm sure that this particular executive director can forgive him. But but he was he was pretty hard on, on trade associations. He, he was really really sort of pointing out a lot of things you and I have talked about in the past. That, right. I mean, it all comes down to the you know, key differences between charities and trade associations, which are important to There's a lot of conversation about this topic, and none of it is, or very little of it is coming from us. I mean, we, we talk about it in the context of why it's important that we're a charity, but I'm surprised to hear from a lot of different. <laughs> I just load. I'm excuse me. I just loaded Richard's title to remember. His title was Open Source Foundations: Colon Threat or Menace? Question <laughs> mark. So you can imagine the kind of content that was in that talk. Um, he 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 really he trolled all of Fosdem with that. 
I I don't think he trolled all of Fosdem. I think he <laughs> trolled all of the usual suspects who attend our dev room. And it appears his video is online. Uh, I'm not going to try to play it now because the audio might come through on this recording. Uh, but if it, if his video did come through, I will link to it in the show notes, and people can 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 find out whether uh, Conservancy and other foundations are a threat or a, or men- a menace. menace. One or the other. We have to. Be. <laughs> um, I mean, I th- I think of us as a threat to proprietary software, so I well, think we absolutely. are a threat. Uh, to proprietariness, um, so so we are a threat of that nature. Um, so that was Fosdem. It was it was really a whirlwind for me. There was a lot of politics going on. I, I was being shown various different crazy emails from various mailing lists on people's phones coming up to me asking my opinion. Uh, it was it was m- much much politics. Um, I sound like that dog. And there was us. <laughs> you know that dog who says like much this very good that. Oh, uh, Doge or Doge? Is that him? I don't. Doge, it's the, it's yes. the one who's the Akita or something. Oh, yes. And then he's like he's like a very tasty much uh-huh. much flavor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I sound like that. Yes, Dogecoin much, is one of much, my favorite. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, I don't know about Dogecoin. <laughs> but anyway, I, um, <laughs> much politics. Many people's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there was a, a Conservancy supporter event at FOSDEM. Yeah. And so, so I actually had a lot of the conference, I, I, most of the conferences that we're going to yeah, be Yeah, we've been, highlighting. we've been doing them. Yeah. And, and so this was actually our, maybe our, our third one or second one. Uh, cause we did the OSCON barbecue in 2015 in right. Portland. Did we do one in between that and the FOSDEM one? I don't know if we did. I guess our we first did one, one was at Fosdem. Yeah, the, the previous one. year. Yeah, right, that was, right. um, and that was, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, uh, uh, so it was what we did. We, we toned it down from the previous year. That's right. The Fosdem one, I, I kind of blocked that out because that was the logistical nightmare, uh, really that, that first year. Uh, and so we toned it down. Yeah, we were learning how to do it. Well, we're still I, learning. I think the, I think it's very difficult. I think what we've learned is trying to make it a dinner unless we're cooking it ourselves is very difficult. Correct. Like if we try to do it in a restaurant, it's hard because people because we do make these events available to anyone who's a conservative, an active conservancy supporter. If they've given uh, you know the full hundred twenty in the last year, or are continuing to give ten dollars a month as an active supporter, we have invited them. So it, it, we do this like little game of RSVPing. By the way, if you're a conservancy supporter, which I hope you will become one, and and you've seen this game, here's why we do it. So basically, we're trying to get the best possible RSVP count because the first time we did it, we found that since people could come, it was like just an extra benefit they got as a sporter, they would RSVP and not show because it's like, oh, I decided. Or not to if we told people too early the details, they would bring bring people who weren't supporters, and, and then we have to awkward. be jerks, and that it's it's really tough. So we confirm that everyone who's coming is a supporter, and you the, know. The, the you know the the events are basically to thank our supporters and to give them a forum to talk to each other about the issues that they all care about, and you know not. To buy people dinner. Well, and let's be honest. Or food it, or drinks. It, it's, so. it's basically a, a fundraising ploy to encourage people it, to sign up. It absolutely is a fundraising <laughs> Say, ploy. come to a really special dinner if you sign up now. But we want you to sign up so that we can, you know, we can do more great work with your money, not buy food or drinks with exactly. it. And so we want to do it as cheaply as we can while still making it an enjoyable, fun, and rewarding experience. And we won't do, at some other episode, we'll dig into the IRS details of supporter dinners. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that's more, more, that's less about conferences, more about, uh, more about the a topic you'll probably all be interested in, but we'll get to later. So we, we, that actually, so what we did at the Fosdem event for 2016 is uh, actually with that Novotel. Of those who've been to Fosdem, know the the downtown uh, Novotel in, uh, in I guess it's Grand Place or something. It's called. Yeah. Um, we we just got the uh, the bar. We rented the bar there. It was very very cheap uh, compared to, mm-hmm. to other options. And and, uh, and well, they don't have much going on there. And yeah, there's not. I mean, it's just a, it's it's a business hotel. It's not well. Let's like, move on to other conferences. So anyway, no, talking I'm, about. I'm oh, talking okay. about my all right, all right. So anyway, there, there was we had about thirty supporters show up for that, and that was great. And so then I immediately went to LCA. LCA was uh, see Karen's board because I'm talking about the conferences I went exactly. to. Exactly. We haven't talked about the ones she went to, but we'll get to that. So <laughs> so then I went to LCA. Immediately went to LCA. I missed the first two days of LTA because I had to cross the international date line, as mentioned, and so I lost a day trying to get there. Um, but it was pretty amazing. So I got a talk in um, the in the big room. There was like a really big room uh, uh, they had, like a big theater space. Uh, and I actually was on that track, which I was surprised about because it was it was almost like a keynote. Because I mean, it wasn't a keynote because there were competing talks, but it was the giant room. Mm. And so I was in the giant room, which was it was the first time I debuted this talk. All my jokes landed badly. I was really 
I was really nervous because I, I had these jokes, uh, which I took jokes from Blackadder, and I realized somebody pointed out later that Australians don't like British humor, and I kind of forgot that that was the case because I'm a, a U.S. American and I like that humor, so I didn't think about the cultural disconnect. So I was told later. Um, huh. So I'm told, don't use blackadder jokes when talking to Australians. It's like one of those, you know, one of those. Did they get blackadder? Like, like, I think what's in, what's tough is that is that for like some the media that they were getting in Australia, as I understand it, they got some English and you know some UK TV and some uh, and some American TV, and so it sort of depends on what it was, whether it got aired at all. That's true, and it's all actually one of the conclusions I came to in conversations with people afterwards is that the problem is it's just too old. Basically, I'm old. And I like old you things. are. Um, so yeah. So so, but anyway, but the the talk was actually well received. So much so that in the closing session, uh, a couple of things happened. One is the president of Linux Australia got up and said that everybody that he was sad that the room wasn't filled. Which to, for the room to be filled, like every attendee would have had to come because it was the big room. Uh, that room wasn't filled for my talk, and that everyone should go watch it on video because it was really important. Hey. Then he announced that they were making a donation to Conservancy. The Linux Australia was going to make a donation to Conservancy. And then this is the part I knew was going to happen, um, but I was already crying at that point because um, it, it was so nice that they were so, so excited. Nice. That this was before the thing that I knew was going to happen happened. That they announced that there was a, a, an anonymous donor who approached me at Linux Comp Australia and agreed to match any supporters who signed up at the event. So great. And so that was announced too. So it was really, and the, so the entire, like three people spoke at the closing and all three of them mentioned positive things about our work at Conservancy. So that was pretty, that was, that was probably the most amazing so experience awesome. I've had this year at a conference. So That's great. It's hard to beat, um, you know. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was probably Libra Planet. Was that well, the that, next that was, conference? That would have been the next conference. So Libra Planet's when you, you didn't have a schedule conflict. In fact, you were keynoting. Yes. I was keynoting. I talked about you're closing keynote. Like you're, that's your thing. Like you are this the was, you are the Libra Planet this closing This was maybe my keynote. fourth in a row. Yeah, I mean you are the you are the person who closes Libra Planet. It's really I've, I'm you're so the honored. closer. <laughs> so honored to get the chance to talk and uh, and and despite the fact that the closing keynote is usually the least glamorous keynote because people who leave early to get it's a you know, keynote. Come it's on! Like, oh uh, my gosh! You're like one no, of these. No, no, no. That's like no. What I was actually saying is that I'm really encouraged because. My, the first year I did it, it was very, very poorly attended. And then the next year, it was also some... But I think also Libra Planet has gotten better attendance over the last four years. And so it's been such an exciting conference. And, um, and what I've tried to do in my my, ra- my my keynote is to also do a little bit of a wrap-up. And so, uh, you know, I try to refer to the other amazing talks that have happened at Libra Planet. Libra Planet is definitely one of my favorite conferences because it's one of the few places where we have, like, just an overwhelming amount of like social justice conversation around free software and technology. And there aren't a lot of places for that to happen. And I really have to applaud the FSF for making that conference, you know, reinvigorating it and making it into such a relevant conversation. Um, yeah, I agree with you completely. And uh, I, well, then you, uh, well, so you spoke about the issues around um, basically the core moral issues of free software. Well, it was right. It was free software companies and you, and so right. I just talked about how often our interests are aligned with um, the companies that are active in free and open source software. But sometimes companies, for various reasons, won't necessarily have our interests. And I talked about ways that we can sort of tip the balance in our favor. Well, you, you did a little more than that. You said that we need to stand up to companies if they're not doing what's right for free software, and you got a standing ovation for that. Aw, I did. did. You did because because that that's the kind of thing that I think. Um, I, I I think that I'm going to go off my charity thing. The charities are willing to say those kind of things about why that, and 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 it's great that we. That I, I'm glad you work with me at Conservancies that you can. Well, it's true at Canone Foundation. Well, when you were there, you can stand up and say these things because you don't have to be beholden to any any uh, uh, private entity, proprietary entity. Yep, and uh, um, and uh, for another example of the differences between the charity and a and a trade association. Um, only a charity could fill that role. Yeah. Well, and that's, and, and I think, I think the fact that people are, are giving a standing ovation for that is really saying that a lot of people agree with that sentiment, right? I, 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 yeah, I used to be give such a hard time to people who took jobs writing partly proprietary software, right? And, and, and lots of people, I know lots of people work at Google and they're spending most of their time working on proprietary software, only some of their time on free software. And I've really given them a hard time. And, and I, I realize now that not everybody can kind of make the, 
lifestyle choices that I have. You know, I mean, I've, I've chosen a lot of things in my life to make it easier for me to work for charities, um, including getting out of the city, for example, uh, which I'm amazed that you're able to pull it off because uh, it's hard. It's fantastic New York City, yeah, but it is very hard to yeah, live here. here. And, and uh, expensive to live here. And, and so, I, so I couldn't do it anymore. And, and, and so I made a lot of choices in my life. Of course, that probably was, I probably liked that I made that choice. But anyway, um, <laughs> but the, the thing is, is that not everybody can make those kind of choices and, and they, right. they, they make, they have to make different kinds of compromise and they might, they might not feel as strongly about free software as I do. It's not a, you know, it's not a, a fundamental more posi position, just similar to I'm a vegetarian and other people are vegetarian, right? It's, it's just something they haven't taken a moral stance on themselves. It doesn't make them bad people in any way. Um, and, but the thing is, is that I find so many people like that are, are really glad that we're, you and I are standing up to say these things because they want them said. It's just that they, they can't do it themselves for whatever reason. And this is why FOSDEM, LCA, and LibrePlanet, as we lump them all together as we wrap up these three conferences, are just so important because they're, they're the few places where, where there is this microphone. Yeah, well, it's a real difference between uh, kind of community-oriented conferences and and corporate conferences. I, I not that we don't go to the corporate conferences. So, uh, so I actually I'm pulling up my I should pull up my schedule and make sure I didn't miss one. Did I miss one? Did we go right to Oscon after that? I'm trying to remember. Was there one in between? Uh, the funny part is is that I'm not at home. I have this huge calendar that I have all the conferences written on. So I, I'm I'm completely analog with the way that I keep track of what <laughs> conferences I go to. And the only thing that's in my well, calendar so is my flight. One more thing about Liberpunk that I oh, should sorry, mention. Is Please that, finish about Plant. Is first. that uh, it was a, a, during the same month as our 10 year anniversary of Conservancy. Uh, Conservancy hasn't had a staff for 10 years, but it's been organized and functional for 10 years. And so we had a, a, a another. Hey, I've been event. volunteering since day one, as have you. As have I. I, I, I filed the incorporation papers. So I was on the original board of Conservancy. Um, which I quickly got myself off of. And I was added the same meeting you were off, and I've been on ever since. Correct. <laughs> so, uh, so we, we had a supporter event also, um, where we celebrated our 10 year anniversary, which was really, really fun. Um, I cannot more wholeheartedly recommend Libra Planet for anyone interested in, or anyone who's passionate about software freedom. Yep. So, um, so uh, there was a couple oh. of conferences in uh, in April. Um, uh, well, actually, I went straight from. Oh, you went to one that I didn't go to. I uh, forgot yes, about that. Yes, I went that. straight from Liberpana to the Sustainability Summit, uh, which was organized by uh, O'Reilly, and it was sort of like a nod towards the um, uh, the original meeting where the term open source was coined, and it was kind of like an unconferency type of. And notwithstanding the fact that I was invited to this thing, which, and you went, basically, I asked for you to be able to go. Um, it was organized in all the same kind of wrong ways in the way that original meeting well, was. Well, but what's, what's different about this is that it was much less secretive. We were encouraged to talk about it publicly. Okay. So if, if, if you, if you heard about this thing and were not there, um, right in, because I bet none of our listeners even knew this thing has happened. It was an exclusive invite-only event. I, I was troubled with it from the start, but it became clear to both you and me that one of us needed to be there. I It was scheduled so late, I, I couldn't do it right after Libra Planet. Yes, and it was before, um, um, for various personal issues, I wasn't planning to travel so much during the beginning of the year, which is why I missed uh, the first uh, LCA and FOSDEM, uh, but uh, I was able to to make the travel work. Yeah. And so, and so I, I was glad that you went in my place. I think a conservancy needed to be represented there. But you know, frankly, A, you should have been invited from the start, which was well, weird. Um, I don't know. B, if there's something that's where you only want one person from an organization, you have to choose between me and you. So, well, uh, they wrote we're to both my ebb.org so, address. We're both so I'm, excellent that how could you possibly choose between me or you? And I think this whole conversation and this, and this has now since been in the press a little bit because it was in, it was a subject at OzCon and so forth to we'll talk about in a few minutes. But this whole idea of, so first of all, when I first heard sustainability, I thought people meant like, oh, you want to use free software to make an impact on environmental sustainability because that's where that phrase is mm -hmm. most frequently used. I thought that's what it was about at first. And it took a while before I realized that people were talking about something they call op sustainable open source, whatever that means. And really, what the argument comes down to is how do we keep the VC money flowing to quote open source unquote? Frankly, I, and I, I haven't written my blog post about this yet. I'll just I'll preview it here. Exclusive new material. <laughs> I'm going to write a, a, an extensive blog post about how this whole thing is a mistake. It, it, it basically my my thesis is 
uh, open source is not sustainable, but software freedom is. Basically, this idea that we're going to have a gravy train of people dumping money into things like OpenStack, that's not going to continue forever. And and even people I know, for to use OpenStack example, who work on OpenStack, they tell me that it doesn't feel like the projects they used to work on. It's not a free software project in the traditional sense of the communities we like and what made all this thing happen. Yeah, I don't disagree with you about your objections, but my fundamental objection is that I don't really understand what people mean when they're talking about sustainability in this context. And I think that and that's by what, design. And I think that what they meant has a lot of pre like assumptions that I don't agree with. Things like open source has won. Right? Like they're just they're they're ways of couching what's going on in the um, you know, in the field that I, I don't necessarily agree with or if, or that I don't see in the same way. Heck, if it won, then it's must be an infinitely sustainable because anything that's won <laughs> entirely, right? I mean I, I mean know. so I, I you know, maybe it's a uh, bit I mean, naive <laughs> of me, but I don't I, I, I still struggle with, with what they're even talking about, let alone what mm. I'm taking objection to. Yeah, it's kind of like saying democracy has won, right? When we have so many regimes in the world where they're repressive and treat citizens badly, like to say democracy won, well, no, it hasn't yet. And our democracy in the U.S. has problems, right? So saying, it, it, like if you say, you know, some idea has won, you're basically, you're biasing the conversation to say the, the status quo is great for me, is really what you're saying. And I don't think the status quo is great for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that the, um, that the, while that the basic premise of the event was uh, a little bit strange for me, um, I thought there were some good conversations there that I was glad to be a part of and very happy that there were um, people taking notes and there were some uh, public initiatives that came out of it. So I'm going to skip past any more secretive conferences and jump right to Linux Fest Northwest. Is that before ELC? Oh, wait. When was ELC? I went to ELC in April. Um, which date's in April? Was that? I can't I remember. feel like the 21st. Okay. Were you, wait, you were, you and I, you were to say, okay, well, we can, we can flip a coin because I think they were almost the same time. Like either it was uh, Linux Festival that was either the weekend before ELC or after. All right. Well, I'll let you do ELC first. Go ahead. Okay. At ELC, I told, I gave a talk, um, tales of enforcement, basically. And that's a core. And to be clear, that's one of the more corporate conferences. That's a, you know, company. ELC is organized. embedded Linux con. Yeah. Right. But it's organized by companies who adopt embedded uh, Linux for embedded products. Right. And so, um, the fact that I was invited to give a talk on, um, well, or that I was given the opportunity to give, um, uh, I wasn't a keynote or anything like no. that, uh, but uh, to give a talk on enforcement and uh, why it's so important and stories from the trenches, basically, was really um, excellent. And I got a really good response, including people signing up for the um, coalition of kernel developers who were interested in having their copyrights enforced. And I think we, we owe a, um, we, we, we owe a, 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 a I'm going to use this phrase I hate, shout out, I'm sorry, I hate that phrase, <laughs> to, uh, to Tim Bird, actually, yes. because Tim, Tim, you, Tim Bird, Bird is one of the key organizers of that conference, and he, he's invited me in previous years and you mm -hmm. this year and uh, to submit, and, and as, 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 I mean, he's not the only person on the program committee, but he's, he's kind of the chair of the, pro I think he's the chair. Yeah, the I was very committee. impressed with his handling of the entire conference, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, that was, that event was really his, uh, I mean, he, 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 he was doing that event before where anybody cared about embedded Linux. Like, hey, I knew Tim in the early 2000s when embedded Linux was just starting, and he's been involved in the idea of putting Linux in small devices since then. And so it's really, he he is an engineer, and so from an engineering perspective, he's concerned. Like, he and I have differing views about compliance, but it's the usual adoption versus software freedom trade-off. Like, he's very much in the adoption camp and wants this technology adopted because he sees Linux as such a great technology. So he and I clash on that point, but it's the it's the classic adoption software freedom debate. Um, but he, he really does care uh, about embedded Linux, and he wants there to be, I think, other views like yours yes. expressed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I think I actually did have one more conference before Linux Fest Northwest, but why don't you do Linux There's Fest no Northwest? There's no way. Which, which is this other uh, one? I went to the Postgres conference in New York, which was in the, um, the Brooklyn Marriott, not far from where we are right now. And what date was that? I don't, I don't remember. I, I've become strangely obsessed with chronological <laughs> order now. Um, but since you just did want to talk about Linux Fest Northwest. So Linux Fest Northwest is one of the few remaining uh, 
regional community oriented uh, open source and free software conferences or Linux uh, Linux conferences. Uh, there's only a few of them left. Uh, Texas Linux Fest, Ohio Linux Fest, Linux Fest Northwest, and um, Seagull's just getting started. Seagull and year. Southeast Linux Fest. Yeah, Southeast Linux Fest has been around for a while. Seagull's only in, I think, its third year, so it's still kind of ramp up. I think um, so. I did a keynote there last yeah, year. Yeah, I think it's, it's really its third year. Uh, also very impressive. But yeah, but there, I mean, these are only a few regional conferences. As big as the U.S. is geographically, it's hard to explain to Europeans in particular how massive North America is and the continental U.S. Uh, even within North America. By the way, is. when I said very impressive, I meant the conference was very impressive, not my keynote. Just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, very impressed with the organizers. Yeah. So, um, uh, so, so Linux Fest Northwest has been running for quite a long time, and it's been in a collaboration with a with a technical college in uh, Bellingham, Washington, which is a a small town uh, between Seattle and the Canadian border. It's actually much closer to the Canadian border, um, uh, and uh, it's uh, it's basically a, a technical college in the U.S. They're often called community colleges. So it's it's really the, these types of um, schools. Uh, they're they're post uh, what we call post secondary education. They're they're you know, for like university level training, but they're really designed uh, to teach people immediate skills that they can use to get jobs. And they're, and they're a very important part of our education system, uh, these smaller schools, because if, if you, if you had a different path in life and you didn't just apply, you know, have a great GPA and, and standardized test scores and get into a regular university, this isn't your opportunity to enter, you know, a highly skilled trained profession. So they're an incre- and, and, and historically, these type of community colleges have been much more interested in teaching free software stuff stuff than than universities in a lot of cases because they're they're skill you know t- teaching someone to be a Linux or you know GNU Linux sysadmin um, is 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 a direct skill that can go out and market and four year schools that do a computer science degree are not as interested in making sure you get out with all the skills I mean I learned to be a GNU Linux sysadmin as an undergrad but on nights and weekends not in any classes I like the academic part too but uh, I certainly didn't learn any sysadmin skills in, in the academic part um, so uh, so I, I, and Bellingham Technical College has had this relationship with the with the conference organizers for a while uh, and have done this event every year um, there's a rumor going around that they built this is this is an exaggeration by far that they built the big room so that they could have a trade show floor um, I don't think they made a decision about their new building based on one conference but that's the that's the rumor of the community that they built that's a room funny. for us um, but it's uh, it's a it's a very is it good still the same way where there are no real keynotes because the rooms aren't big enough uh, yes that's good the speaking rooms are not big enough the, 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 I mean, they, they, it, was, it was hard enough to get that room that has the trade show floor in it because the trade show floor used to be at that conference used to be like the hallway yeah it was really kind of a mess um, now it's in this one big room the one big room they have is actually the show floor which so we did a conservancy booth um, Karen has conscripted me back into boothing I have said on the show before I would never do booths again um, you know this is a a, a, a classic example of the never say never uh, <laughs> concept uh, that I had done enough booth time in my days at the FSF and I was done well I did a booth not only did a booth I didn't express myself, but by myself. I know it's so booth. hard to do a booth by yourself too. So thank it wasn't you. so bad. Uh, we were close to the FSF booth, and the, and staff from there filled in, um, volunteers from there filled in. Oh, uh, so when great. I had to walk away and to go to the bathroom, basically, <laughs> or give your talk. So, uh, yeah, then I went. To, actually, I closed the booth for my talk. I tend to do that if I'm alone in a booth. I just put a sign up that says "Come see." Because right, I mean, if if they're coming by the booth and they're interested in us, they should really just come up to the talk yeah. and hear about our work. So, uh, so that was Linux Fest Northwest. It's a small event. I, I mean, I I don't. Uh, a few people do fly in for it. When I was on the East Coast, I would come every few years, uh, like every five years or so to it. Um, it's, it's a nice event. I mean, it, it, if you're, if you're anywhere in the Northwest area, I think it's even worth coming up from California because there's, you know, cheap flights and trains up. Um, and you could take that train all the way up if you're in California next year. Um, uh, from, you can, like, even from LA, you can take a train. It's like, takes a day and a half, but you can come up if, if you like, if you like train rides. Um, and it's, the train is really cheap. Um, if you want to come up. Is that true? Yeah, it's real. It's the West Coast trains. I mean, you're used to the East Coast because basically so expensive here. Amtrak makes all their money on the Northeast Corridor. Like, like not, not all, but like 90% of Amtrak's revenue is Northeast Corridor in the U.S. So the West Coast trains are really cheap because basically you, when you buy a train ticket here, are subsidizing our cheap trains out West. That makes me so mad. Just move out West with you us? You hippies on the West. Um, I, I wouldn't... You freeloaders out on the West. Not a freeloader. You, you, you all put your population in this dense little area. <laughs> Um, there are a lot of efficiencies to putting our population. It's true. It's density. actually environmentally more sound. It sure is. More population density. It sure it's true. Is. I, I become worse for the environment by moving, I admit. <laughs> so Although, there's not too much to talk about on the Postgres conference. 
Uh, Bradley's cringing because I keep picking up this pen and playing with it. So uh, apologies if you hear some noises. Now he is taking it away from me and put it all the way on the other side. I put all the pens too far for her to reach now. <sighs> so now I can't take notes. Okay, well. Okay, well, so uh, if I lose my train of thought, it's Bradley's fault. Um, and there's not much to say about the Postgres conference. It, uh, it was pretty good. I talked about, um, it was for, I was up as part of a day for, um, regulated industries. And so I gave my, um, basic medical devices talk. Um, and, uh, that was uh, pretty great because it, uh, it had a different kind of, um, attendee. So it drew, drew some really interesting questions, um, which was pretty fun. Um, and it was local, which I, very few conferences are local to New York because it's so expensive to have conferences here that very few of them happen here. So um, that was pretty great. Um, and then I think the next is OSCON. Yeah, so that was in May. That uh, was OSCON. So OSCON is 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 your that's your basic classic example of big <laughs> corporate event. Um, yeah, it's it's a very corporate conference, uh, but uh, we do it every year because it's it's really an opportunity with the booth because we're doing booths now for Conservancy. Uh, the booth to reach when you rely people. on individual supporters for your basic fundraising model, you have to reach. That's and- your basic fundraising <laughs> model. <laughs> your basic. <laughs> Yes. I, I, this is I'm doing an imitation of Chris Farley doing an imitation 20 years ago on Saturday Night Live of Bears fans, I believe. Oh. Um, so it's like it's so many levels of what that of imitation. De Bears and De Bulls. De, de Bers, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's offensive to someone. Is it offensive? I don't know. I I I always thought that just people's accents. You're. I mean, I, I apologize if if if, if it, actually somebody can write in if if making fun of accents is now offensive. Well, honestly, making fun of accents fun of my native is, accent one is not. If it's your native accent, that's different. You're oh, doing your hmm. own impression of your native accent. I can talk like this all I want, and it's totally fine. So I'm only allowed to make fun of ball well, morons no, now. No, is no. that what you're saying? No, I, my, I mean it's okay. If my that's point true. is that actually accents are often class related, right? They're often wealth related because they're ju- right. they're focused on a geographic region which often like in the UK if different accents car- correspond to often to societal class because of where you grew up and what kind of school you went to aha so i let's go off on the tangent a little bit and obviously it would be offensive to do an impression of uh of like a, a an ethnic group i agree but so here's a here's a point about this class related thing so so my accent um, from Baltimore is a lower middle class accent. And I worked very hard to get rid of it because I felt that it pegged me economically. Like it pegged me as poor. But what I realized is outside of the greater Baltimore area, it, ha- it has none of that connotation whatsoever. Like no one knows. I never heard that accent until I met exactly, you. Exactly, Horn. So you don't <laughs> even know that when I talk like this, I say I'm dumb. <laughs> and I, I didn't realize this until I was in my 30s when Nancy Pelosi became Speaker of the House. Because uh, for those who are not from the not from Baltimore, actually, that would not know this, even though she's from California and she lives in California now, she grew up in Baltimore, the Baltimore area. So her accent is a Baltimore accent. So I'm like here listening to the Speaker of the House at the time um, and a senator, not senator, a congressperson from California. Um, she has a... Baltimore accent, right? I'm like, she has the accent I grew up with. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not as pronounced because you lose accent when you move away from place. Anyway, so I, I'm kind of dubious about this class-related thing. Like, well, unless I you're worked educa- hard yeah. to get rid of my New York accent in part because of my Long Island accent, which also made me sound... Or I worried made me sound dumb. And by the way, listeners, I tried to convince Karen to do a whole episode in her native accent, and I would do, a whole, do, do the whole thing in my native accent, but she has not agreed. This is the closest I've ever gotten. It's closest you've gotten, so people can write in if they want more. But anyway, if I have offended people of Chicago by imitating Chris Farley's imitation of people from Chicago, I apologize. I, I actually very much like that Chicago accent. I think I think all these different accents sound cool, which is why I like them, and I want to be clear about that. You just Okay. So, we'll move, and on. I we'll move on. We'll move on. They we'll can be problem. Pro- if you were offended, please be, write. It, it can be deeply problematic to make fun of accents, and I don't want to have to figure out which whether or not. Understood. It is and I would like to give a personal apology to anyone who was offended. <laughs> if you would like to write in, I'm going to leave this in the show so that we can test this to see if there's anybody who's offended, so I can have the opportunity to apologize to them. Anyway, we're moving on Oscon, from accents. We had a booth, and I did not do any accents while at Oscon. I don't think. I, I think to do that any is accents. not true. No, I, not well in the booth. I mean. In I didn't the, do any accents in the booth. Oh, okay. Not that I can remember. Yeah. 
Not I that I recall. I, you weren't in the booth most of the time. I was. Totally, you were totally an executive director off, like. I spent a lot of time in the booth. Things. I, I spent, spent more time in the booth. You did spend a little bit more time. I'm going to start. In the booth. Cl- I'm going to bring a, my stopwatch with me, so I'm time. But our time general counsel Tony Sebro also joined. He us, spent the most time in the booth, and he spent the most time with the booth. So, uh, to I give credit with. where credit is due. I agree with that completely. I'm yeah. not going to disagree. Tony was in the booth uh, most of the time, um, and uh, and we did an event. We did another barbecue. Oh, so the supporter event, as we do, we've done it at OSCON last year and this year, is as we say, we want to keep it as cheap as possible for all of the obvious reasons. And so, but what that means in effect for us in this event is that Bradley and I flip burgers. True. Yeah. So it's, uh, you have the, the, the executive director and the president, uh, <laughs> cooking your food. Yeah. I handle fetching the veg- you a beer. I only hear the vegetarian and uh, vegan ones. Yeah. And I, I handle everything else. And I don't handle beers either because I don't like beer. Right. I, I, I'm in charge of, I'm in charge of the so, other forms of alcohol. Even event. if I had managed to escape so. booth duty, I believe I flipped more burgers and fetched more beers. Okay. You certainly <laughs> fetch more beers because I fetch yeah. none. I will not fetch one. Um, cause I don't like, I don't, I don't, I don't like beer. Sorry. I, I also fetch non-alcoholic beverages too for those who are so inclined. Um, I won't always be fetching drinks. I, I should, I should add. Uh, but, but, but the best part about it was the conversations that happened and like going around that event, which was such a, so refreshing after OSCON, which was a, a good conference from a, as a corporate conference. I, I thought it was very good. Um, Bradley was on a panel on patents. Um, I was on a panel on foundations and I gave a talk that's now online about employment agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, and the initiatives that we're taking there to help publish, um, contract language that are helpful for free software developers. Um, so like there, there was a lot of good, we had our booth, there were a lot of good conversations during OSCON, but it was so like, it was such a different experience to be at our event and to walk around and our supporters are incredible. Like they are, they're real thought leaders still. I mean, yeah, well, I think, I think the, well, certainly, I mean, obviously the, I actually, I'll talk about this now because that's a good segue. Um, I, I, I mean, certainly the people who are likely to be at conferences are likely to be the, the ones who are able to travel to conferences yeah. and are thought leaders. And that, and, and I wanted to make this point early at some point during the show that, um, I, you know, I, I identified early in my career, uh, in free software that these conferences were important. And that the, the conclusion, I, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's kind of in hindsight that I realized this, I, this was subconscious at the time. And now I can see it consciously. What I realized was, is if you have communities that are 99% online doing all their work online together that going to conferences is sort of the only way to work together. It's not, mm-hmm. it doesn't work like proprietary software where you put everybody in the same office. And I realized this early in the Perl days that there was something special about going to when you, when they announced the Perl five porters, there would be a meeting of Perl developers and you know, people who wanted to talk about the future of Perl at the Perl conference that it was important to go to be involved in these communities. And I wanted to note to people that, that I, cause I think sometimes people don't realize the funding structure. I've actually had people, people have criticized conservancy. I, I once someone said on a mailing list that we're funding conservancy. So Bradley, this is before you worked here, Brad probably can jet set around the world or something. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, is that so often, uh, our conferences, uh, uh, travel expenses are, are uh, partially or wholly, uh, sometimes even covered. Uh, by the organizers. And, um, it is true that you probably have to get a talk accepted to get opportunities like that. Um, but there are a lot of them and there's, uh, some conferences have specific grants for diversity speakers. So if you're an underrepresented group, a uh, woman or, or someone from a underrepresented group in free software, i.e., a, you know, non-white guy like me, um, there are real opportunities. A, pe- a person of color from an underrepresented yeah. group in tech. Okay. Which Sorry. is not every non-white. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, I, I know that I am overrepresented. My my point was not to not to classify who is underrepresented, but to say that I am way overrepresented. <laughs> well, and I would say like that- I am like the I'm like the like the, the the poster child of privilege. As tough as it is, because we want to be at conferences where we can talk about the things that are important to conservancy and uh, and share our views. And it's tough for us to attend conferences where we're not we don't have talks accepted uh, because it's hard to you know first of all hard to get travel funding from the conference, but secondly hard to justify any additional expenses by conservancy if we're not also giving a talk a lot of conferences are putting a premium on new speakers and i think that's great yeah and, and you should submit to if you have an interesting talk um uh you should submit to these conferences uh and and if you have an idea for something that to speak about uh because a lot of times there there, there aren't enough talks particularly at these local events um about people you know, doing 
specific work with free software and their jobs. Uh, I know a lot of the local the regional conferences in particular will want those kind of talks and, and really look for them. Uh, they're more interested in those kind of talks than ours. I mean, because ours are high-minded, like crazy free software because we're trying to be thought leaders or whatever, but the actual real useful talks are not ours well, sometimes. Well, no, I mean, I, wouldn't, I think you need to have a, you need a mix. A variety, it's true. So but the point I, don't, is, I don't think there are a lot of people calling out the issues that we are because we I are agree. in a unique situation, as we were saying about the, being the, part of a the charity. The point is my days of giving a talk talk on how to um, do sysadmin work on a GNU Linux box are done. I'm never going to give a talk like that again. But that doesn't mean those talks aren't needed. Right. And oh, there absolutely. are lots of our listeners who could give that talk or some talk about some specific topic. I guess today you would talk about how to use Puppet to do DevOps things that I don't understand or whatever it is the kids are doing these days. <laughs> uh, so I think you have two more events and I have one. I don't know. OSCON, well, no, I, I, oh, that's true, because I just recently got back from uh, a, a conference. So this is another a great example of, of how you know, there are people funding for speakers. Um, uh, the Norwegian uh, users group, the Norwegian Unix users group, I think is, it's N-U-U-G. So um, they funded me to come to Norway to give talks in Oslo and Bergen. I took the train between the two. It's about a six-hour train ride. Um, I took the overnight train. And, but before that, I was, because they were funding my flight, I was able to attend a conference in Sweden, uh, called the Open Source and Soft, Open Source and Systems Conference, which is a academic conference, you know, a usual refereed paper kind of, uh, where PhDs publish kind of conference. And they asked me to keynote there. Um, actually last minute because, uh, Leslie Hawthorne, who was supposed to keynote, had, had a personal emergency and had to cancel. Um, so they, uh, asked me to fill in for her. And I have to say, filling in as a, like, filling in for, uh, there's no shame in that. That's like one of the best, like, I, I think the first keynote I had, I filled in for a canceled, uh, a cancellation. <laughs> yeah. It was very nice of Leslie to recommend me as the first to fill in. So that's, that was part of the reason why they picked me, which was great. And so I was able to give a keynote there, um, thanks to Leslie and to the conference organizers there. And, uh, that was, that's, I really want to build more bridges with the, the these academic communities that research, uh, free software development. Uh, there are real bridges we can build with them. And, and historically, we, I make this joke in the, in the in talks I give in those kind of venues where like we, we were kind of, we were kind of like lab rats. And what we'd like is for people to go native and in some sense and, <laughs> and become part of these communities. And I think some researchers are very interested in that. Um, yeah, we've gotten quite a number of real free software contributors mm -hmm. and leaders out of uh, who came in as anthropologists. Alan Day, Gnome, mm -hmm. I can think Bill of. Bill Coleman. Bill Coleman. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, so I, uh, the Bill Coleman famously did uh, research early uh, on the Debian mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. um, so people may not know that because that was back in the 90s, which is like ancient history to some of our listeners. Yeah. Um, so um, it feels like yesterday to me. <laughs> That's because you're old. We covered that earlier. Yeah, I got it. So, uh, so I I did those that conference and then the the trip through Norway to the user groups um, and so forth. And those talks are recorded. They're actually already in Conservancy. Put them out when they came out. But I'll do a more general blog post about that, and I'll be linked from the show notes about the various talks I gave. Okay, oh, and I did a a lunch. So one of the goals that I've had is to try to advocate about. Uh, software freedom and how critical it is to people who are tech savvy, but who are not already in interested in free and open source software don't understand the issues at play, but are very, very tech savvy. And so Data and Society is a New York based nonprofit and they have um, talks every Thursday. And so they asked me to do a uh, data, they call them cutely data bites. Um, and so I, I did it. it. It's, it's a, the format is basically a very quick introduction to your topic and then, uh, Q and A. And it was, uh, really interesting because, uh, the audience had, uh, people who were studying with an anthropological perspective, um, people who had, you know, real, uh, data, um, humanitarian perspectives. It was sort of a real, like, mix of people asking all of the basic questions about free and open source software. Um, and it's led to some, uh, some follow up discussions, which I think are great. So, um, and that's that. Now, listeners, you're up to date. That is your 2016 conference roundup from Software Freedom <laughs> Conservancy. Uh, yeah, and, and there's the, the funny thing is, is we, we get to almost all the events, like all the generalist events. Um, but I actually feel like there's not enough. I, if you're thinking, I, I talked about this uh, with the, the Norwegians uh, when I was there. I was trying to convince them that there actually is space for more of these uh, general free software conferences. They're, 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 people will say, oh, there's too many conferences now. But the, what's what we have now is there's like 
op- like ten open stack events and mm-hmm. ten puppet events. I mean, maybe there are puppet. I probably I don't know if there is puppet events, but there probably are. Um, there are events various for various specific technologies. And I, I talked actually about this some in my my keynote at at the open source and uh, s- systems conference because there was a time when Usenix was the only conference and all the free software people and all the academics all went to the same conference. We were all there, all together, and that, that's, that was the only place to go, was the annual Usenix Technical Conference. Now, there still is an annual Usenix Technical Conference, and s- someone might say, well, why don't you all just go to that? Well, it's, the problem is the communities are so bifurcated that the only people who go to that now are ones who want to publish refereed papers because they're a PhD at a university, and then the only people who go to an OpenStack event are OpenStack people, generally speaking, and so forth. So so these communities don't talk to each other, and a lot of the issues are shared, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about like things like a CLA, right? There are policy implications of interesting research. I was talking to one of these academics at the OSS thing where, where I was trying to explain CLAs and their policy impact. His immediate response was, there's probably a paper in there for somebody. Yeah. Right? Thinking about maybe yeah. he should pitch this to one of his students, because they're there are policy issues worthy of study, academic study, and, and just take CLA as an example. OpenStack community had a huge fight about CLAs, which most people outside of the OpenStack community don't know about, nor is that argument particularly informed by people outside of the OpenStack community. We did an episode on it. True. In our back catalog. Okay. But my point... So you all know about it, but... You all know about it. Because you're generalists, Well, not our new listeners. Okay, true. But my point is, is that the folks who listen to this podcast are probably very generalist kind of thinkers. Mm-hmm. They're interested in all the aspects of, of things going on in open source and free software. And those are the exact kind of people that can organize conferences. And, and the reason I've locked on to this so much is because there was this meme, it was actually a good meme going around our community about how um, development is not the only contribution. Absolutely. You know? and, and I agree with that argument. And it's sort of died down. And I, I'm surprised during that nobody pointed out that event organizing, community event organizing, is a wonderful volunteer way to contribute seriously to the community. And the people that do that are really important because it's really hard work. It's hard work, but yeah. it's it's not work you need to be a software developer to do. That's the thing. Is it when you talk about what can I do for the free software community as non-free software developer, we, Karen and I can't do our profession without these events where we can go and find the people that want to hear about what we're doing. And the only way we can find them is to go to these conferences. And the only way we can have these conferences that are actually community oriented and designed to promote community are if you organize them. Yep. And where social issues are discussed. Because we can't Things go to like some that. like Microsoft conference and like try to do it, right? Because those are organized by Microsoft. They need to be organized by And having local geographic conferences are really important because a lot of people who have a passing interest who might take a much more, you know, might, might go to an event like uh, a, a local meetup, um, wouldn't necessarily travel to go to one of the bigger events. Mm-hmm. So it's really a, a huge thing that you can do. Okay. So this is probably the fourth episode we've done about conferences. If this annoys yeah. people, they should tell us. If they don't yeah, want to hear about conferences, um, uh, certainly we don't need to do it. It's it's easy for us to give a wrap up. I my biggest worry is that people just sit and li- that's why I want to do the whole thing about how you can get to these events yourself, even if you don't have a budget, because I worry people sit and listen and are like, why didn't I get to go? Which mm-hmm. is how I know I would feel if I were in your shoes. So I am sympathetic to that. And uh, on the other hand, I know a lot of people who feel like we go so they don't have to. Oh, <laughs> if, if we're doing that for you, that's great. You know, it's I don't mind. Um, and, uh, okay, well, with that, we'll to DevConf. Yes, we're both speaking at DevConf, uh, as it turns out. Which is very exciting. So, okay. So we'll talk about that in some future show. Thanks for listening. Free as in Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of danlynch.org. That's D-A-N-L-Y-N-C-H dot O-R-G. The Free as in Freedom theme music was written by Mike Tarantino and is performed by Mike Tarantino with Charlie Paxton on drums. You can learn more about our work at the Software Freedom Conservancy at the website sfconservancy.org. Conservancy is a 501c3 charity and is supported by your donations. An RSS feed for this show is available from faith.us. That's F-A-I-F dot U-S. All episodes of Freeism Freedom are licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. No, we don't have to start that way. What? This is, well, this is not going to be that segment. It'll Let's be the start, segment. No, no, no. Be the start over again.